So two weeks ago, I, uh, I flew out of here on Sunday afternoon to go to uh, California to do some studies. And then a little over a week ago, my, uh, my wife came out and we had a kind of a little early uh, 10th anniversary celebration. So it was just my wife, Megan, and I. It was fantastic. And I want to thank you all uh, for that opportunity, um, for me just to be able to get away for a little while. That was a real blessing. Um, and as it, it shouldn't surprise you, uh, maybe it does, uh, but last week uh, while Megan and I were together, um, I did not want to be thinking about a sermon for today. And so, um, and so I didn't. And um, to which brings me to my next thankfulness, which is I'm thankful for colleagues. Um, and, um, you know, Scott's gone this summer, so I'm not thankful for him, but uh, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but, um, but I am thankful that, uh, that last week uh, a good pastor friend of mine, Stan, preached, and this week a good pastor friend of mine, uh, Randall Gilmore, is going to uh, come up and preach here in just a minute. And uh, both, of these, uh, um, both of these pastors are not currently in a church, but over the last year or so they've been attending here at ZPC, and they and their wives have been very encouraging and supportive of us, and so I'm very appreciative of that. But Randall uh, pastored for around 20 years up in Fisher or over in Fishers, and um, and now he is the uh, reg regional field director of Word of Life, which is a kind of a mission organization on the Pacific Rim. Uh, and he's also a field director in Japan. Uh, and so uh, he's going to um, come up now and lead us in our look at Joseph. And uh, so thanks, Randall, for being here with us this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Jerry. It is such a privilege to worship with you from Sunday to Sunday. We really count ZPC as our church home when we are our home. We, uh, we do a lot of traveling. In fact, let me introduce my wife. My wife, Dale, is seated down here in front, and uh, this is our son, Elliot, as well. And uh, Jerry was right about our ministry. We are serving with Word of Life International, and our ministry actually takes in from Japan in the north down through New Zealand in the south and everything in between. We have ministry in, in eight different countries right now, and if that weren't enough, on Wednesday I leave for Nicaragua. We're getting ready to start a new Christian discipleship school in English there in Nicaragua, and I'll be there for a few days uh, preaching for a conference. So we really appreciate your prayers for us as we serve. We count ZBC as our church home, having moved away from our, our former ministry and uh, we are, are really blessed to be here. And also having the privilege to travel around quite a bit, I want you to know what a jewel that you have in your pastor. And he is such a, a blessing, and we appreciate your leadership so much in your ministry. We always look forward to the services each Sunday. And uh, honestly, I would rather listen to him today than me. Uh, so I uh, appreciate the opportunity today. Dale and I actually have five sons. Um, our, uh, only our, our fifth son is still at home. He graduated from high school this past spring. Our, our five sons, by the way, they are age 37, 35, 33, 31, and 19. And, and all of their names begin with E. Ed is the oldest. He was named after my dad. And then Eric is the second born. Eric was my fa wife's favorite boy's name. And then we were kind of on a roll, so we kept going. Evan and Everett and then Extra. Yeah. And, and so actually, 
Actually, I, I asked Elliot's permission to be able to share that, that with you, but uh, he's been such a, a blessing to us, um, child of our old age, I guess. So in, anyway, well, I would like to invite you to take your Bibles this morning or your device or just look up on the screen and follow along as I read from Genesis chapter 41 beginning with verse 33 and reading through the end of the chapter. It's a lengthy passage, but I'll read it, and if you would follow along, please, as I read out loud. The Bible says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, came to, to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. 
May God bless the reading of his word. Let's just bow in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of opening your word, and I pray that you will open the eyes of our hearts as we sang just a little while ago, and that you would guide us into truth and help us to then be doers of the word and not hearers only. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we pick up the story of Joseph today at a point just after Pharaoh tells, or Joseph tells Pharaoh the interpretation of his dreams, that God was about to bring seven years of plenty to Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. But what happens next, that is in, in the verses that we began to read this morning, is one of the most shocking parts of the larger story. Because Joseph stands before Pharaoh, Joseph the slave, Joseph the prisoner, stands before the Pharaoh of Egypt and tells him what to do. In fact, let's just put those words back on the screen. I'll only read the first sentence or two here. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And as you know, the rest of that call to action outlined for Pharaoh exactly what to do. So Pharaoh, Joseph, the slave, Joseph, the prisoner, tells Pharaoh what to do. And as he does so, he perfectly positions himself to be the one that Pharaoh chooses to carry out the plan. I wonder if the oxygen went out of the room for just a minute or two. I can imagine the people who went for Joseph when he was in prison saying something to him like this. Now look, Pharaoh's had a couple of dreams he doesn't understand. And he's going to ask for your help. He needs your help to interpret those dreams. But wait for him to speak and stick to the question and get to the point. Remember, you're not here for anything else. But Joseph had the audacity to go way beyond the question and to tell the Pharaoh of Egypt what to do. Fortunately, Joseph's call to action pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And so Pharaoh turned to the servants and he asks essentially, what are, the, what are the chances that we could ever find someone like this? Even if we'd been looking for him, someone that has the spirit of God, the gods actually living in him. And then Pharaoh turns back to Joseph and he says, well, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, Joseph, you're perfectly positioned to be the one I choose to carry out your plan. Now, as I was pondering what we might gain from this part of the story, I remembered that as bold as, as Joseph was to give 
this call to action to the Pharaoh of Egypt. As bold as he was, this was not the first time that Joseph issued a call to action in connection to his interpretation of dreams. Back in Genesis 37, in fact, Joseph implied to his brothers and his parents after he told them his dreams that they should bow to him, that they should submit to his lordship. And then after Joseph interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, he explicitly told him to remember him to Pharaoh. So this is now the third time that Joseph goes beyond the interpretation of dreams to issue a call to action. Now, I just love the human authors of Bible stories. They were literary geniuses, masters of their rhetorical devices known to them, and wise craftsmen in the hands of God's Spirit, composing each sentence and coining each phrase and writing each word with intention. And one of their intentions was for people like us to gain insight from bringing various parts of a story like this together to make comparisons and contrasts. And when we bring together Joseph's various calls to action, we notice that this last call to action, the one that he gave to Pharaoh, it differs from the previous two in at least three ways. Let me share them with you. The first is this. This is the first call to action where Joseph shows concern for the needs of others rather than just for himself. Previously, Joseph's calls to action were all about him. Bow to me. Submit to me. Remember me. Now, Joseph shows concern for the needs of others, especially for their survival once the seven years of famine begin. The second difference, this is the first time Joseph cast himself in community with others. Previously, Joseph cast himself either as above everyone else or as someone deserving better treatment than everyone else. And now, even if Joseph were angling for Pharaoh to choose him, at least he saw a need for others to be on his team. Overseers, he calls them. And finally, this is the first time that Joseph's call to action actually results in someone doing what he said. Previously, Joseph's brothers did not bow to him, nor did they submit to his lordship. And the cupbearer forgot him, leaving him to languish in prison for two more years. But now Pharaoh ponders for only a moment, and then he does exactly what Joseph said. It's a remarkable difference. You know, these comparisons and contrasts show a remarkable change in Joseph. Because Joseph transformed from someone who was focused entirely on himself to now someone focused on others. And he focused, he transformed rather, from the pursuit of his own interests to the practice of servant leadership. And it's servant leadership that I want to talk with you about for just a few moments this morning. Sometimes when we talk about servant leadership, we, we do it without ever really drilling down to what it means. So I thought I'd put a, a list on the screen of Christ-honoring behaviors that uh, 
form what I call an arena of servant leadership. All of these things you will find in the Bible, in the Old and New Testaments, clustered together in this arena of servant leadership. And, and you're going to notice, because we're going to read them together in just a moment, you're going to notice that I put all of them in the form of an ing verb. And I did that because they represent action, not just ideas. So read them out loud with me. Let's start with the first one. Forbearing, forgiving, encouraging, modeling, empowering, speaking truth in love, pursuing same-mindedness, building faith, cautioning against self-reliance, calling attention to God's presence, power, resources, and commission, celebrating when others succeed or when they receive grace and generosity from the Lord, establishing accountability, setting up others for reward. All of these form part of that arena of servant leadership. Now, take a careful look. Someone might say, but I'm not a leader. So I don't have to be too worried about the practice of servant leadership, right? But as I say, take another look at this list. These are for everyone. All of these behaviors are practices that form not just an, an arena of servant leadership, they also form an arena of servant followership. And so Jesus calls everyone to practice these, even if you're not in a role that we traditionally associate with leadership. Now, before closing this morning, and by the way, this is going to be a lot shorter sermon than a Baptist preacher is ever used to giving. <laughs> I figured out somewhere along the line that we usually preach about twice as long as Presbyterian preachers. And it's not that we have any more to say, it just takes us a long time to say it. And I have to tell you that even though I just said before closing, no matter what denomination you're in, anytime a preacher says before closing, it means nothing. <laughs> but before closing, I want to call your attention to one other dynamic associated with Joseph's new focus on the practice of servant leadership. After all, it was servant leadership that perfectly positioned Joseph to be Pharaoh's choice. But that's what servant leadership does. It perfectly positions us to fulfill God's purposes for us in community with others. And it perfectly positions us to receive the blessings that God has in mind for us. That's the way it worked for Joseph. Think about it for just a moment. Above him was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was doing everything possible to bless Joseph. In fact, he gave Joseph his signet ring. Then he gave him garments of fine linen. Then a gold chain for around his neck. Then he gave him a new identity. Then he gave him a new wife from one of Egypt's best families. And so above him, Joseph was experiencing great blessing. 
And God was maximizing his potential to fulfill his purposes in community with others. Downline from Joseph were the overseers and the others who were cooperating in the harvest and storing the abundance. And also downline from Joseph were those two sons that God gave him to help him forget the past and to remind him that things are different now. So servant leadership perfectly positioned Joseph to fulfill God's purposes for him in community with others and to receive blessing. As I say, above him, everything was great. And down lying from him, everything was great. And it was just flowing so nice. But then there are those pesky brothers. The ones who hated him. The ones who could not speak kindly to him. The ones who kidnapped him. Who threw him into the pit. And who sold him into slavery. Now Joseph's position as a servant leader looks completely different, doesn't it? And isn't that the way it goes? I mean, things can be going so well above us, and down line from us, things can be going great, and then there are those pesky relationships that stretch us out of the, the flow and, and try to pull us out of line with what God has for us. But I want to suggest to you, and, and by the way, let me mention that it could work just the opposite way. It could be that everything is going great horizontally in our relationships, but our authorities over us or the people down line from us, those are, what, those are the relationships that are stretching us and trying to pull us out of the stream of what God has for us. But either way, we're just like Joseph perfectly positioned, hanging on a cross. And my brothers and sisters, I want to say this morning, this is what it means to be perfectly positioned. This is what it means to be perfectly positioned <clears throat> to fulfill God's purposes for us in community with others. This is what it means to be perfectly positioned to receive the blessings that God has for us. It's the perfect position for you and for me. So let's take another look at the list of Christ-honoring practices that belong in this arena of servant leadership. Because Joseph's experience shows us that we have to add one to this list. And, and I'm talk, talking now about the practice of sacrificing. Because to be a servant leader or to be a servant follower, we must also be sacrificing, laying down our lives for others. And when we're sacrificing and when we're doing these, when we're practicing these, we are perfectly positioned 
right, right where God wants us. To, to be in the flow of the blessings he has in mind. To fulfill, to maximize our potential to fulfill the purposes he has for us in community with others. And in the end, all of these will per perfectly position us to be more like Christ. And just as the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, to become like him in his death, to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. So this is a holiday weekend, but I want to invite you to take a closer look again at this list and to select something on this list that you could begin to implement immediately, today, at least this weekend, that you could begin to put it into practice. Don't be just a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. These are not just ideas. These are practices. And as you do, you will find yourself perfectly positioned. Again, perfectly positioned to fulfill God's purposes for you in community with others. And also to receive the blessings that God has for you. May God bless you.